Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I'm joined by actor and musician, Mr. Roger Clinton. How's it going, Roger? Hey, my everything's good, buddy. How are things where, where you're at? Is it nice and sunny? I know you told me that uh, you, you live in California now these days. Yeah, yeah, I'm living in uh, a little, whatever you'd call it, a suburb, an outlying area of Los Angeles. It's called... It's in an area called the South Bay, and it's uh, specifically Redondo Beach and Riviera Village. And it is a beautiful day. It's uh, the, the the temperature has dropped. It's really nice. It's in the seventies, low seventies, and it's uh, just a nice, beautiful day. Nice sunny day. It definitely does sound like it from the way that, that you just described it. <laughs> yeah. So um... yeah, it is. It's nice. Nice with a little breeze coming off the water. We're just a couple blocks from the water, and it's just a nice area, nice laid-back area. The people are great, sort of like that proverbial uh, place you grew up with, you know, the place you grew up in. It's sort of symbolic of that. So um, do you ever go surfing while you're uh, out out there? (laughs) Well, no. Now, I've been out here 20-something years, about 25 years. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've had the opportunities. I've even been given some surfboards. Uh, I'm not like my son in that regard. My son uh, now would take any, he takes any and every kind of board you can imagine out into the water. Uh, surfboard, paddleboard, longboard, shortboard, boogieboard, bodyboard. <laughs> he'd probably even take, he'd probably take a skateboard if he could out there. Yeah, right, Or a right. tuba But But I, on the other hand... I like to play golf a little bit, and I still like to shoot basketball, and I like to do stuff on my feet uh, without a lot of pain these days. And I have weighed the, uh, just weighed everything, all the options regarding getting up. If, in fact, I could get up on a surfboard, um, my balance isn't like it used to be, right. and uh, and risk any kind of injury for maybe 15 to 20 seconds at best of satisfaction and then thereby losing any opportunity that I might have of playing golf again or anything else. So I've just decided to stay out of the water other than just going out and swimming a little bit in the ocean. I do like to be down there, but I leave all the boarding to everybody else. It gives me something to look at. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, you said that you like to play golf. Uh, do you have your group of buddies that you like to go with, or do you like to just kind of do it by yourself? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got my group. I got my group. Now, I've, I've had to take a few months off. I had shoulder surgery recently for a, uh, oh, yeah. a torn rotator cuff. And so I am, I'm, I'm nearing the end of my physical therapy and uh, the time frame for returning to the golf course to uh, where I can uh, – once again, enjoy shooting my high 80s and low 90s. That's and, good. Uh, and just have an enjoyable day, a therapeutic day out there on the course. So, uh, yeah, that's so it sounds like that you like to stay active and stay pretty athletic uh, in, in that realm of uh, athletics. Yes, sir, I do. And I, you know, I have to... Uh, I have to be realistic, and <laughs> as hard-headed as I can be from time to time, I have to be realistic these days and uh, incorporate and factor in the, the age and uh, 
<laughs> my, I have to realize my limitations. You have to know right, your limitations. Right, right. Yeah, my, my my dad kind of says the same thing too. Uh, he's I'm not sure if you guys are, are on the same age, but he's uh, 63, I think now. But uh, he says, yeah, uh, he's yeah. just a little bit. He's just a little older. That's it. So older. we're in the same area. <laughs> yeah, he, he says the, <laughs> the same thing. The same thing as you. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little frustrating, as your dad will probably attest to that. Uh, that we can't do one of those just, I don't know, one of those cliche yeah, statements right. that you just can't do what you used to be able to do. Absolutely. But there's so many things that we can do. <laughs> I don't know if this is just self-justification or what, but there are so many other things that we can do that we would have never considered doing when we were able to do so much other physical stuff. So. Anyway, it always right, it, right, right, it right. evens out. So, um, what are you up to these days? Uh, I know that you had mentioned uh, golf and all that, but uh, do you have a uh, uh, well? I guess that you answered that question too. But have, having a family, but uh, what what are you up to these days? Are you working on any projects as far as acting goes uh, at all? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am, um, and I've also got my hands full with my uh, with my son, who is. In acting school, as we as we speak, he's oh. in an intensive acting class that is five hours a day, uh, five days a week, excuse me, and about five to six hours a day. Oh wow! Um, that's really intensive, and uh, so he's in that. I am not doing as much on camera. However, I am uh, I am trying to. Uh, I'm getting very close to uh, to getting my own podcast, so I can join the ranks of Mike Scott. And, um, <laughs> oh, stop, and, stop, and, stop. And, and communicate. No, I'm being serious. I think oh, okay. it's fascinating what, you, what you're doing, and I would like to be a part of it because mother raised two communicators, and that's what she really, one of the main things she instilled in me and my brother was the importance of being able to communicate, not just speak, but you have to be able to speak and listen if you're going to communicate. And this is a wonderful forum to uh to do that with and and make a difference and that's what i'm wanting to do now in the meantime i'm still doing what i've been doing for about 15 years um on and off uh, i did take a few year break but i'm back in the middle of it again and did a couple yesterday as a matter of fact and have a couple more today to do and that's voiceover work i do commercial and animated voiceovers and um just hope for the best every time i read I get a lot of a lot of reads, and uh, and then you just have to hope that whoever hears it, that's the voice they're looking for. And so far, so good. It's been it's certainly been paying the bills. And uh, then I've been writing music and working uh, work for a man named Steve Boone, who I work under his sort of the entertainment umbrella of his company called Shangri La. Um, and I help with reading scripts, finding scripts, and um, and hopefully finding one that he likes because he likes to produce movies. And he, uh, so he's got me doing that and writing a treatment for a uh, a television show that I've been working on for about four or five years. I've just recently finished the treatment and have completed a pitch deck, and we're looking to do the sizzle reel on it um hopefully before the end of the year so it's finally finally coming to fruition i believe 
before the end of the year, after about four years of working on it, it's a music TV show concept. Oh, wow. So Congratulations. It's, it's keep all that stuff that I've mentioned is keeping me busy. It definitely Staying does a father. Like yeah, doing the best I can as a father and being as great of a father as I can be and hands-on with, with his work in this field and, you know, being able to show him not only what to do, but what not to do. Right, I've got right. valuable experience on both sides of that fence. So, uh, speaking of the acting, um, and I do want to uh, ask you about your, your podcast that you have coming up, uh, what, what that's going to be all about, but um, you were in a movie uh, called uh, Fred Claus, one of my favorite movies, yeah. starring Vince Vaughn and Paul Giamatti. Yes, it was a wonderful experience. Did you get to work with, uh, actually, Vince and get to see uh, Paul and Vince, and uh, do you still talk to them to these days? These days? Yes, I do. Yes, I did, and yes, I do. I uh, now I don't speak with Paul, but right. for no other reason other than just life, um, you know, taking you away from other people and and uh, and so forth. And maybe I'll have the honor of working with him again. He's a genius. Um, Vince, on the other hand, I have been in touch a couple of times since that movie, but it's been about I don't know what eight years or so. Eight or nine, eight years, nine years, something. I don't know when, when I did that one movie, but uh, Vince was, was he was absolutely wonderful. He was so helpful with me, uh, for me, uh, regarding just working on a cold, cold couple of days in Chicago. Um, he sort of warmed things up and livened things up made things very comfortable. He was just really great uh, to work with and to work for. And I hope I have the opportunity to work with him again. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I got to know Stephen Baldwin, who I consider a good friend. He, uh, we, don't, we don't speak all that often. We have spoken on a couple of occasions since the movie as well. And I even did something with him, which wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but regardless, it still paid some money, and uh, and it was a good experience on camera. And that was, uh, oh, what was the name of that? Biodome or something. That's where I first met Stephen. So it was good to work with him again. He's an incredible actor, I think. So I really formed some great relationships on that movie. It's funny that you should ask about that one movie that I did, but that one was really a great experience. There were some unbelievably talented people on that movie. Oh, I know. Uh, Kevin Spacey as well. Yeah, Spacey was great in that movie, unfortunately, because of his troubles. (laughs) Sort of, sort of, the residuals sort of dropped down this past year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, if you still get residuals from that. Yeah, I still do, but, uh, in different ways. They don't come through the network anymore. Um, they'll come through sales and so forth. Right, right. And speaking of... I think it sort of shut it down. But who knows? It might it might change back. I think it's just... I think this was sort of shock. Our culture has, is going... It has been through and is going currently through some kind of a culture shock. I know. And, uh, until it's hard... I think it's hard to deal with things, Mike, on, on a personal basis, on a business basis, and to, and regardless to what degree or what level, whether it's a family, whether it's a country, whether it's a world culture, whatever, it's hard when you don't really understand it. 
it's hard to fix anything if you don't really understand it first. You've got to come to grips with it. You've got to understand it. You can't just simply acknowledge something that's going on and just deal with it on the surface alone and ruin people. I just don't, I don't think that's just my personal opinion. I don't, uh, I don't see how that's fair and I don't see how it's really benefiting or solving anything coming, you know, trying to make something right in this culture, but by ruining people individually. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I go through, I take therapy because I think, you know, quite frankly, I think everybody should have therapists. And, um, I think it's, I think it's beneficial to everyone, but you know, I've had, I had trauma in my lifetime and it's hard to compare. I mean, who can compare like PTSD trauma, um, from military experiences, from childhood uh, abuse experiences, uh, from later in life trauma that happens, death, losses, so forth. There's really not any comparison. Trauma is really trauma, just based on how it affects a certain individual. And the people that have been traumatized by individuals, their lives haven't been ruined. You know, my father beat me and and my mother and my brother and we have had over the years to deal with it the way the best way we can deal with it you know we've had to deal with it through therapy and so forth well my point is is that i've never wanted to ruin even if my biological father was still around which he died when i was 10 i think I wouldn't want to ruin him and destroy him for what he did to me. You know, I just wouldn't. And it's probably easy to say, and a lot of people would say, oh, that's easy for you to say since he's not here anyway, and it's a hypothetical. But my point is, to segue back to what we were talking about, is that I think, say in Kevin Spacey's case, I'm not defending what he did in no way, shape, or form. And I don't approve of it. I don't... I don't appreciate it. I think it's very disrespectful. I think it was a tremendous mistake. But to try to to try to absolutely ruin a human being for the mistakes he made, that's just not the way I was raised. And I don't think it was the way that this country was really yeah. started. Yeah. And I you know, and I think the only reason why we're doing this, what they did, what people like Kevin and other people, Harvey and you know, those people, I think that they regret greatly what they've done. And who knows how much of it is, is the absolute truth? Or is, is, it, is it exaggerated? Who knows? And I'm not condoning anything that they've done. I think it's disgusting. However, so, you know, uh, we could go back to that old adage of two wrongs don't make a right. right. And I just don't see how destroying these individuals making them lose their livelihood, making them lose their families, making them, you know, if they lived a lie or if they did something that is so wrong, then let them apologize. Let them make amends. Let them live the rest of their life with a regret, whatever. But for us to try as a culture to destroy these people, it's just getting too right to me. And some make it through and some don't. And it just depends on the covers. And that's that's one area that I just don't approve of. 
So who knows? You know, <laughs> who knows? It's another cultural thing, and it'll be another thing that my podcast, Roger That, Roger, will, yeah, uh, that's a nice will hopefully that's cover. <laughs> that, that's a good yeah. name. I like that. I like Craig Scott too, man. I think that's a I think that's a cool title. So, uh, what is uh, the podcast going to be about? Well, based on what I I feel about yours, I've not. Uh, I will listen to your podcast now, but it's it's oh, happened so quickly. You know, it's so it's happened so quickly. I've not. I'll be honest. I've not had an opportunity to listen to any of yours. I. I would like if you tell me how to do it, or you send me a copy, a link, or something. But based on what I hear so far about yours, um, I guess mine's going to sort of follow the same, same, at least follow close to the same path. It's just going to be certainly conversational. It's going to have to do with communication, which requires listening as much as speaking. And it has to do with everything. I mean, it's very eclectic, very diversified. It's political, musical. Life in general, probably life more than anything. There you go. That's uh, that's kind of what I what I try and do. I mean, obviously, I try and make this as um, <clears throat> as motivational and and uh, as light as possible to give people a good message about themselves and and who they are. That that yes, yeah. like you say, we all yeah, have our Bye. troubles. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know something, if you just take time to think about it, what if people like you, people like me, um, people with this vehicle, this opportunity to communicate, rather than try to bring people down, rather than try to uncover something just for the sake of saying I uncovered it or I found it first or whatever, I, I tripped somebody up, I set somebody up, rather than that, why not cover the good positive stuff have people, even if it's controversial, uh, talk about things that are personal, that are political, that are environmental, that are musical, um, you know, all of that stuff, get their feelings about it and discuss it and communicate about it and see if we can resolve things, see if we can make a difference, right. see if we can make a difference, a positive difference in people's lives, in this world, in our city, in our town in our own home. You know, let's just, if we started trying to make a positive difference, God almighty, it would make things so much better. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like I said, you're also uh, not only an actor, but also a musician as well. Um, what what, uh, what instrument do you play? Um, well, I, my main instrument is my voice. I was 15, which is a long time. Again, reference back to the age and don't know how long I've been performing on stage and recording. And um, uh, I play at piano. I play at saxophone. I play at guitar. Emphasis on at. at yeah. uh, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, she wanted her two boys initially to be a saxophone duo. And even though there's 10 years apart, she wanted us both to play sax. Big Brother played for about, I don't know, 17, 18 years. And, uh, I mean, actually really playing. I played for about eight years. So, you know, I can still play a little bit, but I would never take it on stage and perform in front of people. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, not yeah. unless they wanted to hear, like, Pink Panther or Twinkle, Twinkle, <laughs> Little Star. Yeah, I'm, I might be able to swing those still. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my saxophone prowess right there. 
so yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask but I'm you. But I'm still working. But I am still working on music, Mike, all the time. I'm constantly, I've constantly got a song in my head. Uh, sometimes it goes to my heart, but um, it's mostly in my head. And I, uh, I think I've written a song recently, though, and it's called Politics. And I spell out the word politics oh, on okay. each line. What P stands for, what O stands for, what L stands for, and on. Um, and I sort of take us through us being all of us, the country, the world, whatever, but especially the country, about everyday politics and about where we've been, where we are, and where we're hopefully going to go, because politics is always going to be with us. And we have to learn how to deal with it, despite the media's coverage, uh, which I get a kick out of it. Because I get a kick out of people saying the, the media swings left or the, the media swings right. And it's just the media. It's just people. It's not just the media that does that. It's everyday people. There are certain people that lean certain ways in their beliefs about certain ideas and right. certain issues. And then they lean the other way. And it might be the same person. And so I, I just choose to sort of not lean either way and stand straight up and, um, and maybe think a different direction, but always stand upright and be proud of what I believe in. And if I learn things that uh, counter what I believe in, then I'm all for that. I'm all for learning uh, and realizing if, I, if I'm looking at something a different way uh, or not looking at it in a way that I should be looking at it. And so I just think it's very educational, um, uh, but I do it through my music. And I've, I've just recently, there's still some tweaking to go with, uh, with this song, but I've, for the most part, I've finished this song, Politics, just in the last two weeks. And I've already contacted my guys in the band, and uh, a couple of them live in the Bay Area, a couple of them live in, around San Francisco and Oakland. And so they're coming down, and we're going to go in the studio in the next, well, it'll definitely be before the first of the year. And, and most likely before the Christmas holidays, so we're going to go in the studio and and uh, and lay it down, lay this one track down, and I'm going to pitch it, chop it, just like I've done since God, for longer than I like to admit. Right. I'm still pitching yeah. my music, and and we'll do so from a wheelchair if necessary. Well, I definitely cannot wait to hear it. I'm sure it'll be a great, great song. Well, thank you. I hope so. I'm sure that it, people will, will accept it and, and, and will love it. And uh, it definitely sounds like a really, really good song that, and, and with a really good idea and a uh, good, good message behind it. Yeah. Okay, Mike, I'm ready, man. You wanna, I'm sure you got a little something juicy you want to get into, so don't hold back. It'll be up to me to answer it or not. But, um, All right. And I might not give you the answer you're looking for, but I'm, I can feel that you have something you want to ask me, so go ahead and shoot. All right. So... <laughs> what was it like to and by the way i want you to send me some barbecue that's the only condition now that's the only condition i should i should have set the condition before the podcast started but i want you to send me somehow in dry ice or however you do it right send me some kc barbecue man or a jar of kc sauce or something i miss that part of the country and and that kind of food have you been to so, so have you been to Kansas City before? Yes, yes. I've I've performed in and around Kansas City. Um, 
on the Kansas side and on the Missouri side. And plus, as I told you before, I am a diehard die Cardinal fan. fan. Yeah, I've been a I've been a Cardinal fan since I could crawl. Oh. So, and I'm I'm still a diehard fan. I'm I'm not one of those fair weather fans. I've I've stuck with them through the down years and and the up years. So what 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 do you think of the Cardinals now? Well, they they've got a youth movement, and uh, it's just one of those odd situations to where the youth seemingly has some kind of crazy confidence going on. Um, you know, they've gone on a little streak here. And yeah. they all feel like veterans. They feel like youthful veterans. They're they're meshing with the veterans. There's no jealousy. There's no competition. Um, youth comes in and fills in for some of the veterans that maybe have some injuries and vice versa. Uh, it just looks like a really fine-tuned unit right now, a great team atmosphere, which which is what you have to have. You can't have just a bunch of great players you're gonna have a great team right and this new coach i mean i hate to see my team get fired or replaced or however you want to classify it but um we needed a jump start we needed something to charge us and this assistant coach assistant manager who just got promoted just got a two-year contract seemingly is in complete harmony with this team um He's got a great rapport with the youngsters that are coming up from our AAA teams, and and uh, right now it's going well. I mean, we didn't look it didn't look very good at the All Star break, and now since the All Star break, I think we either have the best or the second best record. Um, so we're just trying to keep up with the Brewers. It looks like the Cubs are coming down, and it looks like the Brewers are going up. So it's a pretty tough conference we're in, but I, I have a tough division, but I I like our chances. Do you, uh, do you still follow Albert Pujols, even though he's gone from, or has been gone from the team for a while? I still follow him just because he still has a lot of ties in St. Louis. I hated him for a while. <laughs> or, or I didn't really hate Albert I, because he's such a, an incredible phenomenon, a uh, yeah. great athlete. I have had the pleasure of meeting him once, and it was just I was like a kid in a candy shop. Uh, I got to meet Pujols. I got to meet Jimmy Edmonds. I got to meet Chris Carpenter. I, I just, um, I don't know, man. I, I just have been blessed in that area. And every time I meet a, a ball player, I don't care how old I am, I, I revert back to my childhood. And I, right. and I act like a little kid. And I grew up playing baseball. That was my favorite sport growing up. So I think Albert's great. He's, he's got a lot of foundation. He's got a couple of foundations in and around St. Louis. Does a lot of good uh volunteer work as well as running his foundation and a lot of charity work and i believe next season i think if i'm if i'm correct next season will be his first return so apparently the angels must be must be scheduled on the cardinal schedule in in 2019 um because apparently they're they're talking about it on the on the broadcasts anyway about the return to albert Pujols to st louis for the first time so Anyway, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that series. If that, is, in fact, is why he's coming back, I believe it is. Now, now that Bonds is uh, retired and all that and gone, and I think that Pujols has got a really good shot at becoming the next, the uh, the ultimate home run king. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's done things. He's set records. He's uh, he's just set marks that that are going to be very, very difficult. Oh yeah. 
to uh, to ever beat, to ever reach again, much less, you know, much less exceed what 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 he's done. It, it's going to be very tough because he's he's done at such an early age. He did it immediately, and uh, I never thought the Cardinals. I mean, when, when there was talk about them leaving, letting him go, I I just laughed. I just knew that that wasn't going to happen. And, you know, but it's all worked out. It's worked out for both teams. It's, it took the Cardinals a little while to recover from it because that's quite a quite a loss. But, yeah, uh, right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm anyway. sure that I'm sure that all of uh, or most of St. Louis was kind of sad to see him leave. He actually, you know what? He actually did want to play for Kansas City first. Uh, he wanted to be drafted by Kansas City, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Wow, that would have been huge. That would have been huge. I know. No matter who he was with, he was going to be Albert Pujols. He was going to set the record. It wasn't just because he was on the Cardinals. I mean, I truly believe he was one of those exceptional athletes, um, almost like a Mike, like, well, maybe even more so than a Mike Trout. But just because he did so much, so quick. Um, but, you know, there's a handful of those players that are just exceptional players that I don't care where you put Mike Trout, he's going to be the superstar. I don't care where you pay, where you put Albert Pujols. I mean, yeah, he's, right. yeah. he's uh, apparently in the twilight of his career, but at least they've, they've been saying that, or whoever they are, have been saying that for, I don't know how many years. That he's on, he's on his downward, downward spin, and he just keeps proving everybody wrong despite injuries and so forth. He keeps, he keeps knocking them out of the park. So, yeah, Albert's one of my, he's one of my favorite Cardinals that's ever played. So, I'm missing. Like, I'm still like, a diehard Cardinal fan. It definitely seems like that you should have a house here in Missouri. <laughs> Well, I would love it, and and even more so. One of my favorite shows is uh, that I would really like to read for. I'm going to try to read for it. I'm trying to contact the people now. I think season, I believe it was season two that just finished. It's on Netflix. Um, I really enjoy it. It's uh, it's uh, called Ozark, and oh, it's yes. set in Missouri. It's set in the lake, close to the Lake of the Ozarks. Yes, and. Um, God, I, I just love that. That's what, That's exactly the kind of setting, uh, not the setting for the TV show, but the geographic setting, having a house on the lake uh, with, with a dock with a boat and with a couple of boats, fishing boat and a regular pleasure boat, and just wake up and write every day. That's what I want to eventually go back to. That's the way I was raised in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We have lakes like that and mountains and woods and and uh, that's the way I was raised. Yeah, and I was going to say, that's, yeah. That's what, I want to, that's what I want to return to. I want to wake up and fish and write and fish and write. And then if I decide to change it up on a couple of days later, I'll write and fish. That's just about all the change I want, you know, <laughs> when I'm writing this beautiful life out to its end. Uh, I, want to, I want to go back to a setting like the Lake of the Ozarks or Lake Washita or Lake Hamilton in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and... And just uh, enjoy nature and enjoy life. So I have to ask you, I actually used to live in Burbank working in television myself. And uh, <laughs> I've, I've gotten firsthand to experience uh, the traffic there. Is the traffic just as bad where you are as, as it is in Los uh, Angeles? Well, not if I stay off the freeway. And if yeah, I right, stay okay. in the South Bay, uh, it's, it's okay. You learn to live with it. But I don't care how long you live out here. 
you can't stand the freeway, even if you're not on the freeway. You have visions of being on the freeway, and it's it's miserable. It's just miserable. I would rather be going at a certain speed in the opposite direction of where I'm, wherever I'm supposed to be going than to be stopped, dead still, heading in the right direction. I just can't stand it. It's like it's just a massive parking lot so often. And so you have to learn the times of day. <laughs> you have to learn the times of day. You sometimes have to plan your schedule around the times of day that, that are most convenient for you to be on the freeway driving. So one of the first books I got, Mike, when I, when I moved out of here 20, oh, God, 20, 25 years, 27 years ago, 27 years ago. 27 years ago. Uh, one of the first books that someone gave me because I was living, and you'll know this area because of where you used to live. Right. I lived in Toluca Lake. Oh, yes. And before I lived in Toluca Lake, I lived in Arcadia which is, oh gosh, what is it? Is it just east of Pasadena? It's a little east of Pasadena, which I believe is a little east of Burbank and Toluca Lake and North Hollywood area. And um, I would have to drive because I had a, my first job was a job as a gopher. I mean, it's really actually a gopher. It's, it's yes. nothing like it sounds. It's called, my title was production assistant, but it's basically a glorified gopher. And uh, I would wash the actors' cars uh, at, at the Warner at Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank and at CBS Studios on Radford in Studio City. Yeah. And I lived and I needed to live right in between them for for reasons because I, I didn't have any transportation for for quite a while. Uh, so my feet and bicycle uh, that was my initial transportation because I got my car stolen when I moved out here after a few months. So. Uh, that was my introduction out here, and I worked at those two studios, and it was hot, and there was a lot of, it was it was highly populated, there was a lot of traffic, but it put me in that right place at the right time scenario, even though I was a gopher. But prior to being able to afford my little $750 at that time, back in 90, 91, uh, $750, and it was a studio. It was really an attic that had been transformed into an apartment, and uh, you'd bang your head when you got out of bed. I mean, it was one of those kind of deals. But I had to take what I could get. And the reason I took that is because of the proximity to the two studios. Prior to that, I had to live in Arcadia, which required me to be on the freeway every morning, work 12 hours, and then drive back I was staying with some friends, the only people I knew in Los Angeles, and they let me stay there until I could afford my own place. So I had to do that freeway thing. I was forced to before I had my car stolen. At least it was stolen at a convenient time because I had just gotten the apartment that was close to the studios so I could walk and ride a bike. But it was pretty crazy on that freeway system, and you know that area, and it's, it's miserable. And when you work 12 to 14 hours a day, the last thing you really are looking forward to doing is getting back on that freeway and right. fighting that yeah. damn traffic going home. So you can go to sleep and get up and do it all again. Ah, it was a nightmare. That's good for my music. I got a record deal, and 
the rest is history. I, I did the responsible thing. I bought me an apart. I bought me a condo and a sports car, which is so irresponsible. But <laughs> at the time, that's what I felt like doing. So, but it at least got me out of the valley, and uh, and I didn't have to deal with the traffic. And the first book, back to the first book that I was given when I first moved here, and I was complaining about the freeway, having to drive to and from the studios on the freeway. And a guy said, well, here, you need this. And it's a book called L.A. Shortcuts. And it gets you everywhere that you ever need to get to in and around Los Angeles, the entire area and the surrounding areas without getting on one freeway. And I can't tell you how valuable that book was. (laughs) So there's one thing that I think that um, my listeners might wonder – because of uh, who you are, excuse me there, um, does, do doors open more naturally for you than, say, others because of uh, who, who you are? Well, I'm going to have to – let me divide that up a little bit, that reference about doors opening. Literally, the doors and figuratively, the doors do open, do open and did open. Um, seemingly more often. However, the results that I tried to get once I got in those doors certainly was not what I anticipated because so many people are so afraid, they're so hesitant <clears throat> to um, to give me opportunities. Not anymore, really. Not anymore because I do it myself now. I make it, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place now and I gotten experience and I've gotten my feet planted and uh, you know I'm pretty well established insofar as what I do and and it sustains my life it pays the bills and keeps me happy and um, but it, it people would be afraid of doing things and it was so funny when I would hear people say oh it's, you got that because of dot 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 and I go, yeah, but what about this that I never got that I wouldn't have the opportunity, that I didn't get the opportunity to do? What about this? What about that? Now, in life, Mike, I like to look at it just the same as I do in life, and that is that the good outweighs the bad. And I truly believe that, even in, even in this political hand that I was built many years ago. You know, being first brother, you have no choice, you have no pay, and you have no rehearsal time. And it's not like you can call somebody and say, you know, I've been thinking about this first brother dig, and why don't you give it to somebody else? It doesn't work like that. And the media makes you, I mean, you are by definition first brother because you're the first brother, because you're the brother of the president. So you are by definition the first brother. Right. But you don't have a choice in the matter. You have to play that role now, and you have to incorporate it into what you want to do and what you're already doing in your life, if anything. And I've always wanted to be an entertainer all my life. I've always loved music and, and performing on stage. And so I thought that they would go hand in hand. And for a lot of it, it, it certainly did. But there was a lot of times, so many times, countless times, where people didn't want to do anything because what would, what would it look like, Roger? What would it look like? Or, Roger, you know something? It would be better if, if I didn't help you in this because that way you can say you did it on your own. Well, you know, that's all fine and good. 
I'm willing to do that, but, you know, why don't you at least help me out a little bit? So there were a lot of times, Mike, that I, uh, that I was turned away, I was denied uh, things, I was re- refused things because of who I was. And quite honestly, uh, and realistically, I mean, this is only logical to, to assume and to, and to know for a fact. You know, there's a lot of times I wanted some things done, and I needed, I needed to be able to do them through a channel that didn't, that didn't support us politically. And that plays a big deal, too. You know, there were a lot of people that didn't vote for my brother. Even though there were more that did, there were a lot of people that didn't. And so I would, when I would approach, you talk about getting doors slammed, they would slam, and they would not reopen. And it wouldn't matter about your persistence. I've always been persistent because when you're an entertainer, when you're in, in the industry, you hear the word no more than any other word in the English language. Absolutely. It's just part of your vocabulary. So and you feel like that's what you're going to hear sometimes every time that you start adjusting and, and, and trying to figure out a way, okay, now how am I going to respond to it? How am I going to react to it? How am I going to turn it around? So sometimes it's in the forefront of your mind that this is what I'm going to hear because there's a 50-50 chance because everything becomes political when you are at this level. I mean, everybody, you, I, everyone has to deal with everyday politics, little p politics. But when you're at the level of campaign and elected politics, like my family has been, Everybody thinks, now, is this going to help me if I help Roger? Is this not going to help me if I don't help Roger? You know, and so forth. Everything comes into play. There's so many other factors involved. And then you have the bottom line, the bottom line reality of the people that did not vote for your brother. And by God, they're not going to help his brother. They're not going to help his brother. They're not going to help anybody in his family because he's been elected, and he doesn't support this that I believe in. He doesn't support this about tax cuts. He doesn't support this about, you know, and it goes on and on right. and on. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's the bottom line is I had to always realize the good outweighs the bad. You know, my son was going to go through school with people saying, oh, you're President Clinton's nephew, and they're very, very close. And, uh, and I, so I prepared him for it, but I also prepared him for the fact that when I grew up, son, I grew up studying and learning about Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson and Kennedy, and you're going to be able to grow up listening and learning about Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson and Kennedy and Clinton. And that in and of itself to be a part of American history, despite what you have to go through to be a part of that. Just the fact that you're a part of American political history and that can never be taken away. Um, overrides all the bad stuff. It's just something to be very proud of, to be very honored and humbled by. And, um, and that's the way I raised my son, but you know, he's having, he's having to deal with the same stuff. He's, you know, with people that it's not like my brother just faded away. It's not like my sister-in-law hadn't come to the forefront. You know, they've still got their, you know, friends and foes. So just like everybody does, but theirs is magnified. Theirs is compounded and at another flipping level. And we just have to deal with it the best we can. And, and, uh, 
and I think I'm a good teacher, not just a not just a great father, but I think I'm a great teacher for my son because I do, like I said earlier, I get to teach him about what to do and about not what not to do and what to say and what not to say and when to do things and when to go places and what places to be around and what not what places not to be around. It's it's just a learning thing and uh, it's life life it's everyday life but it's worth it i love my brother there's and i love my sister-in-law there's nothing i wouldn't do for for family that comes first absolutely i, I like that that whole answer that you said about how um, you are actually a part of political history uh, i mean just history in general uh and yeah. people uh would, would know the the name obviously and um uh, unfortunately, some would, like you say, see you in a bad light. Some would see you in a good light, unfortunately. But that's, like you say, how life goes. But um, it just seems so cool to be uh, the relative, maybe, of someone who, who will live on in history forever. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there is something that I uh, wanted to ask you myself. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you've gotten to be in the White House many, many a days. Um, tell yeah, us, many times. Yeah. Tell us um, about the parts that the general public does not get to see, like the Oval Office, and do they have a special place for the relatives to be able to stay in, in the White House? Yeah, they do. Um, and, and our favorite place, and I'm sure the current uh, family, I, I, I'm sure they probably appreciate it too, uh, but it's called the Solarium. It's at the very top of the White House, and um, it's right below, just below the roof. And it's uh, it's where we used to always just get away and have our personal time, our private time. Uh, it's where we would watch movies if we didn't go to the downstairs theater. Uh, if we just wanted to do it as a family, we would uh, we'd mainly go to the salarium. That's a great place. Now the Oval Office, again, that's historic. I've got pictures of my son uh, when he was, well, he was born in 94. So I have pictures of him when he was, uh, when he was two and three years old and he was crawling under the, just like, just like uh, John Jr. did. Just like John Jr. Oval office when he, that infamous picture. Well, I have, I have infamous pictures of my son also, one sitting out on the South lawn which is the lawn that the public always gets to see. It's the one you see, you know, with the, that's the South lawn where all you see all the people and you always, whenever you see pictures of the White House, that's the, that's the side that everybody thinks is the front, but it's actually not, not literally the front, but it's the one that's the, always the photographed one. And I have him sitting out in, in the lawn at one year old, uh, just sitting out there all by himself with this, I took the picture. I just thought it was a very powerful picture. He's just sitting out in his diaper, out in the grass, all by himself, with that powerful piece of architecture, that incredible, powerful piece of history, uh, just dwarfing him behind him. And he's out in the middle of the field as if he doesn't have a care in the world, which he didn't. And, uh, you know, all the innocence and all the truth and everything was sitting in the grass behind all the all the truth, all the history, all the corruption, all the positive work, all the everything 
that the White House, you know, represents, um, it was just a powerful picture. And so the Rose Garden, the Oval Office, those are beautiful, historic places. Uh, I was always intrigued in the White House by the, the walls that would open up to doors. There are several walls that you would never, ever think of even pushing, much less thinking that they would open. Um, but they open to stairways that go down. Mainly, I think initially it was, it was constructed, those hallways and those stair, stairwells were constructed for the staff for the cooks and so forth to the butlers and everything to go up and down. I think that was the original purpose uh, so as to not, you know, disrupt anything in the, in the, in the main rooms of the white house and so forth. Um, but that's pretty crazy when a wall just moves and just opens, it just swings open to a stairwell that shuts back as if there's, you know, it looks like a regular wall with paintings and everything on it and artwork. And and, uh, and then the tunnels underneath are pretty fascinating that go up underneath the street, um, I think mainly for Secret Service and so forth. You know, the Secret Service is what really always fascinated me about about my stay there, about our family's stay there. They're, they are a special breed, and... Uh, those are people to be so highly respected and uh, revered. Um, they put their life, just like other police officers, law enforcement, military, they're the same way, except they just do it for the first family. And uh, how they lay their lives on the line every single day, uh, those people, those Secret Service people, uh, military, law enforcement, they, they fascinate me. And so, consequently, being around, being around the, the Secret Service as much as I was, I remember writing them. I remember writing them a letter that hopefully they still have archives or wherever they they have it. Um, but I wrote them a letter of thanks and of appreciation and of gratitude to them for protecting me, protecting my brother, my sister-in-law, my niece, um, my son. And my mother, she was there for a couple of years before she passed in 94 as well. And so I wrote them because they laid their life on the line for us. Absolutely. Whether they liked us or not, which I, I choose to believe they did. We had a great relationship with them. Whether they voted for us or not, it didn't matter. They did their job. They did it well. And I, that uh, was one of the, and I'm a writer. And I consider that one of my most powerful things I've ever written. Uh, I was real proud of that, but I just felt it necessary to do that because no matter what you loved about the White House, no matter the historical aspects of it or the fun you had, the mystery behind whatever, it was all sort of controlled by, centered around uh, the the performance and, and the and just the representation of the Secret Service. They that's what makes it go. That's what that's what allows everything to <clears throat> to flow up there and to operate and to make you feel safe every day when there's when there are nuts around you. <laughs> so uh, I, I do want to ask you one one final question before I let you go. Um, what are okay. uh, what, what are Bill and Hillary up up to these days? 
What now, Mike? I'm sorry. You said Bill and Hillary what? Uh, what What are they up, up to these days? Um, well, they're always writing books. Okay, first off, they're, they're at that point of their life where they are always writing books. <coughs> my brother and sister-in-law, like, especially my brother, because I'm, my sister-in-law has been so recently related to politics and, and yeah. tied into political campaigns and so forth. Right. But my brother has done some outstanding and continues to do outstanding, life-changing work uh, around the world with the Clinton Global Initiative. He is big time into making a difference around the world and making this world a better place. And, uh, you know, he's not worried he, he's not having to worry about what people might think as long as he focuses on doing what he thinks is the right thing to do and something good and something that benefits humanity. He's going to do it, and, uh, and he's done a wonderful job at it and continues to do so. I, he's in really good health now, I'm proud to say, and I'm very happy to say, um, but he still works. At breakneck speed, he just will not let up. And so, you know, one of these days he's going to have to. But I guess until that day comes, he's continuing to work at such a rate, traveling constantly around the world, raising money, donating money, uh, spreading the uh, uh, solar concept around the world, the environmental concept around the world, the green concept around the world working to fight AIDS around the world, uh, spreading vaccines around third world countries that people can't get to. These are the things that have been at the forefront of his mind and writing a book and writing books about what he does and what he feels and what he thinks the world needs and how he thinks that we can act and operate as human beings with each other, to each other, around each other, to make everything better and to make this a better world to live in uh, while all the, all the while realizing, acknowledging, understanding, and working on preserving the things that need to be preserved that, that the uh, climate is affecting, <clears throat> that guns are affecting, that, that things that are detrimental whether they're preserved in the Constitution or, or whatever, whether people think that it's all a hoax, it's not. This environment is no hoax. And it's not a matter of whether it's just weather and it's either going to be hot one day and cold the next. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. Yeah. And so he understands that, and he's trying to do things about that every day, bringing people's awareness to the fact that you know, the glaciers are melting. The, some animals are becoming extinct that don't need to be. They're becoming extinct because of the environment, the neglect of, and also because of, because of individual reasons, per people mm-hmm. versus nature. And, um, you know, he's, he's got a, he's got a full plate and he, uh, he, along with I, um, agree that we're at the time of our lives where we want to make a difference. We want to go out making a difference. We want to make this place a better place. Um, 
our family, our city, our state, our country, our world. We want to make a difference. That's going to be the majority of our legacy, um, and that's what we work for. So I, I do it through my music, and I do it through my writing. He does it through writing and through traveling, and um, we just do what we can do. We try, we try to stay good folks and, and treat people the way we want to be treated, and that's it. So I do want to piggyback on something real quick that you had said about um, Bill's health. When I saw him at, at the DNC for, for Hillary uh, um, three years back, would it be three years back now? I think it would be, yeah. Um, the man just looked incredible. I mean, just incredible. I mean, he, he looked like he hadn't aged at all. Yeah. Yeah. And he's acting, he's acting like that, too, Mike. He went through a period where, and I, I don't know if he agrees. I don't really know if he does. I don't really care if he does, but he's my brother and I love him. So I'm going to, just like he does with me, <clears throat> I'm going to comment when I feel it necessary, especially regarding his health. And I thought because of this little, what I call, and it sort of aggravates him, but uh, experiment with being a vegan and, uh, you know, being a vegetarian was enough, but that's almost archaic now, being a vegetarian. You know, you're either, you either eat meat or you're a vegan. I mean, it seems like vegetarian has gotten lost somewhere in the shuffle. Um, but when he went through that phase, and I call it a phase, he gets he gets a little bit upset when I do, but regardless, uh, I thought he was losing too much weight, and I thought he was unhealthy. I, I just thought he was a little, he was getting a little frail, a little rundown, and he was always attributing it to just his travel schedule, his work schedule, which is intensive. Um, however, I thought it was more than that, so I would tell him, you know, you got to start eating some more chicken, you got to eat some more fish, you got to do something. You can't just live off a of tofu and sprouts and stuff like that you just can't do it and uh so he's he's sort of rethought that that approach about being a total vegan and he eats a little bit more he puts a little bit more substance into his his meals these days just a little bit he still eats extremely healthy but it has i think brought him back to a healthier state he's livelier he's happier he's healthier He's more active. Um, plus, he and Hillary's, you know, the most important things in their life right now are his grand, their grandkids, uh, Charlotte and Aiden. <clears throat> so, you know, keeping up with them, they like to see them as often as they can. So they either go see Chelsea and Mark or Chelsea and Mark goes to see them. And, uh, and they've got this set up in the backyard for the kids in Chappaqua. And so they keep them very, very active, as kids do. And, yeah, uh, I bet, yeah. <laughs> you know, so they're loving that. They're loving the experience of being grandparents and, uh, and family. And it's, uh, it's starting to, it's really showing. They're, they're both very healthy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and, and uh, good folks. That's the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad to see. I mean, they're both national treasures to this country. Um, for everything that they've done. Thanks, and, Mike. Uh, yeah, Thank absolutely. you. Thank you for saying that, buddy. Yeah, no Thank problem. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that because regardless if you agree with their politics or not, you have to be a fan of their love and passion for this country. And um, they've devoted their whole lives to it. And people that, that dispute that and that criticize them, 
without considering that, that fact, that they have lived their lives for this country. And, um, and I'm real proud of that. I'm really proud of that. I so liked, thanks for uh, mentioning that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I really did like what Hillary had to say um, about her, her speech uh, when, when she gave it about um, moving forward and uh, about women in, in general and about how we can uh, keep, keep inspiring, how, how they can keep inspiring this country just like she's done. You bet. You bet. And you can do so much when you're not president. I mean, I know that that's sort of cliche because 99.999% of all human beings know that. Yeah. So that being said, you sometimes don't realize it or lose sight of it when you are either at the top spot, campaigning for the top spot, up as close as you can get to the top spot. Sometimes you lose of what you can do if you're not there. And they're experiencing the great results from the work they've done, the positions they've both held, uh, how they've represented this country in the country and around the world. And now they're in civilian life and they are applying everything they've learned, everything they've experienced to the, this wonderful open opportunity to spread the wealth, basically, and the knowledge, uh, the wisdom, the experience, to spread it around the world and to make it a better place. And that's what they're doing. And I, I, I couldn't love them more. I couldn't be prouder of them. And uh, I couldn't be prouder of this country and, and what we're doing. It's, I think we're going through a little speed bump right now, but guess what? Speed bumps have never stopped a car. They've never stopped a person walking. You know, sometimes it's a little difficult to get over them. And uh, sometimes there's another one right after you get over one. <laughs> but we always seem to come right. out on top. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so yep. much, Roger, for your time. Okay. Thank you, thank you so much. God okay, bless Mike. you, sir. God bless you. And uh, please, I, I hope that you do come back sometime. Thanks, Mike. I will. And guess, guess who I'm going to have on my show, on my podcast? Oh, who's that? I'm going to have this young man... Oh, I'm going to have this young man out of Kansas City named Mike Scott. <laughs> oh, How about that? Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, partner. Thank you, buddy, and you have a great day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, man. All right. Bye-bye.